The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you having difficulty in achieving your dreams and what you really want in life? Would some conversations filled with energy and wisdom come in handy just about now? Welcome to Little Conversations today with Dan Deegan. It's the little conversations that can bring about the biggest elements of change and empowerment. Take some time out right now to explore the power of these little conversations. Now, here is your host, Dan Deegan. Well, welcome back. Um, We really hope that you guys had as much fun as we did last week. Last week was such an energetic and vibrant and just really exciting time. Our first launch show. And this week, we're bringing back two other fabulous experts. We're going to start with Brad Montgomery, who's going to teach us all about energizing ourselves and motivating ourselves to really go after our dreams and then we're going to follow up with Bob Berg. Bob Berg is the ultimate influencer and he's going to show us and teach us actually how to get people on our side and and help us walk through our new path. So to start off we've got Brad Montgomery. Now Brad is a totally unique blend of laugh out loud funny and thought leader. He's I guess the best way to put him is he's way more than a motivational speaker. He'll make you laugh and get your organization involved, which, as you know, means that the message sticks and facilitates hands-on learning. He's a speaker, author, comedian, thought leader, happiness expert, magician, facilitator, and audience participation master. Brad, did I miss anything there? (laughs) Uh, There's stuff on there I've never even heard of. It's an amazing list. Well, it's kind of a tongue twister when you really start looking at it. But, you know, Brad, thanks so much for being here, my friend. You know, we did an expert interview on Little Conversations today. And to just really capitalize on that and move forward with that, we first, very, very, very big for us in this new sort of style is, can you share with us, before you became a world-renowned energizing motivational speaker what kind of little conversations did you have in your head when you first set out on this path towards what you now know as your greatness so thanks dan um i wanted to, i want to ask you a question really quick define little conversations because we you know i've followed you for so long i see it so many times but i wonder if i can turn the tables and interview the interviewer what do they mean to you little conversations Little conversations to me are those quiet moments when you're by yourself, when you're in between thoughts. Now, we all have about 60,000 thoughts a day. And a lot of those thoughts, for myself anyways, are conversations of, can I really do it? Is this something I can really do? Um, Should I do it? So the little conversations that we try to look at and connect with people, if you will, are those conversations of, you get something that comes into your mind, Brad, and you say, you know what? Yeah. That is magnificent. Just thinking about that goal energizes me. It gives me this this dynamic feeling inside. And then two seconds, you're like, but can I really do that? Do I 
do I have the education? Do I have the time? Do it. And so our take on it, 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 let's, let's lay it out. Complete transparency. Our take on it, Brad, is the fact that it starts with choice. And then if you choose to go after something, your mind is the beginning and the ending point. And if you do not, if those little conversations of lack of limitation, if you choose to allow them to control your thoughts, you are never going to achieve your greatness. So there are different thoughts that you have, I guarantee it, that you had before you set out and became world-renowned. Those thoughts, how did you overcome them? First of all, what were the thoughts? Secondly, how did you overcome them? And then the third part of it, not to add too much to your plate, because, I mean, you're already nine different people in your bio, um, is is what kind of little conversations do you have today? Yeah. Well, I think it is a good question, and in many ways, I think I lucked out, because when I was young, I was stupid. But the good news is that all of us were young, and all of us were stupid, and we can still channel that even as we age. Uh, but, but before we go on, 60,000 thoughts a day? You're kidding me. I think I have 12 thoughts per day, and three of them are about Cheetos. So it's just, that's mind-numbing. <laughs> all right, little conversations. Let me tell you the, a story to answer your question. When I first got out of college... I wanted to be a magician, and I wanted to be a magician for one year before I went to law school. That was my goal. And my my standards were unbelievably low. My bar was set very low. My only goal was to have a good time, to do as much magic as I could, and not borrow money from my parents. That was it. Like I just uh, The only thing I wanted to avoid was calling to my parents going, oh, man, I just couldn't pull off enough dough to get by for the year, which means because I lived in a crappy apartment and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't living the high life, I didn't have many financial needs. So meeting that goal of not borrowing my parents turned out to be ridiculously easy to meet. All right, so how'd that year go? The year went well enough that I never went to law school. Some cool things happened, and I ended up getting invited to do some stuff, and, you know, one thing led to another, and before I knew it, at the end of that year, I thought, well, I don't want to go to law school now. This is kicking. This is fun. And some cool things are starting, and I'm actually making a little bit of money, and I'm definitely having a really good time. So now fast forward to to your question, and what does that silly story have to do with your question? That time in my life was really instructive to me. That time in my life told me that, man, if you just do something you really like and break them off into little chunks, amazing things can happen. So during that year, my goals were like to wake up and maybe learn a new magic trick or, you know, you know can I master this skill with a pack of cards today? Today I'm going to work on this. Can I work, uh, can I practice this trick in front of an audience? Which uh, often when you're, when you're learning card tricks or something, the audience can mean somebody at a coffee shop. So, you know, can I, can I do this trick 20 times today? <laughs> <laughs> Meaning, I, w- I didn't have these big lofty goals. World renowned was not on my menu of, of vocabulary. I, it just wasn't one of my 60,000 thoughts, which was great. It was just flipping fantastic. Um, so many great things happened that year by accident. The, the lesson I learned for me was baby steps. When you just try to go slow and do one thing, one thing at a time, as long as it interests you, as long as it makes sense, then amazing things can happen. And now that I'm a little bit older and I'm a little bit more savvy about setting goals and having vision and, you know, pl- planning my career and my strategies and trying to influence the people I care about most and even people in my audiences, 
I think it's really important for us to go back to those those basic thoughts. Like, yeah, make a list. Yeah, be strategic. But in the end, just flip and start. So I don't mean to dodge your question. Of course, I'm I'm human, and of course, we always have self doubt. And you know, shoot, I have self doubt. I think of my sixty thousand thoughts per day. A good portion of them are are something like, "What the frack do you think you're doing now, Brad?" But you know, you gotta you gotta harness them and put it down and just say, "All right, what's next? Let me pick up that pack of cards, or let me answer this call, or let me uh, make two calls." You know, it's just if you break it down, it's the easiest way to deal with those thoughts. So yeah, I got them, but I feel like I was lucky because I started with such a low stress job, really, with such a low bar that it it was really instructive. And I, you know, now it's been 25 years since that year, and uh, man, I feel like I rely on that every day. Well, Brad, can I dissect your story just a little bit? Bring it. Okay. Now. My lens that I see your story in is I say, you know what, fantastic, Brad, because you're going out to be a lawyer. Um, Not sure if and maybe you can elaborate on it, if that was kind of the directions your parents wanted you to go in or but you took that and you said, well, hold on here. I love magic. My little conversation is magic is awesome. Do I really want to be a lawyer? Did that conversation ever go on in your head? It wasn't. It wasn't quite that simple. I went to uh, my dad's a lawyer, so I don't mean to leave my parents out of it. But also, I went to I went to Brown University, so that's an Ivy League college, and there's lots of smart people there. And just I I had assumed forever that I was going to go to some sort of grad school, and I just assumed you know, and I was good at I liked college. I was pretty good at it. So I just assumed that that would be the track. I would be on some track as some professional. Uh, job or or something in that realm, and I thought law was really interesting, and I had this really kick-ass class my senior year, and it was just, like, I loved it. So it wasn't as much of a push and pull between what I really wanted and what my parents wanted, as much as discovering where my passion lies. And related to that, you know, I remember thinking, oh, and I'll just knock off magic in a year. Like, I will learn, I will master the art of magic in a year. Well, that was that's ludicrous, you know. That's the thought of a twenty-one-year-old, like, oh, I'll just, I'll just master this. Well, after a year, I did learn that it was hard. I learned it was more interesting and complex than I thought, and I learned that it was connected to a lot of different things I was interested more than I thought. But also, I learned that for me, not knowing what was coming, um, you know, down the path, not knowing my future with a capital F, was okay. Because all the when we're at school, you know what's coming next. Oh, I know what's coming next. Next year I'll be a year older and I'll be in the next grade, or be, be in my next year of college. Or and it was very comforting for me to know what was coming next. Grad school, yeah, that's comforting. But uh, that year off, I, the, the year I was doing magic full time, that was uh, that was a cool year because one of the many things I discovered was not knowing what's going to happen in three years or five years or even twelve months was uh, was not only okay, it was pretty fun. So, Brad, energizing, motivational speaker. It's right there, bang on your home page, bradmontgomery.com. What is the best way for somebody to get energized and motivated? Is it the same way, or is there different steps? I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know who wrote that. I'm teasing. Fantastic. It's like that, you know, keep handing it out, fake it till you make it, or... Uh... 
Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, you've got a good question, but uh, but there's two things that are confusing. Don't forget that on my webpage, this is what I market to others. This is what I bring to others. This is not necessarily, you know, how I approach my own life. Because don't forget that as a professional speaker, one of my job is to help meeting planners solve specific meeting problems. Like, what are they going to do with their thousand people, you know, at 10 a.m. on Friday? So one of the things I do is I promise to fire them up and give them more energy they had uh, afterwards, after their time with me, than they had beforehand. So that's part of it. But um, I'd say the big bulk of my message to this audience applies to your question, which is knowing that it is a choice. I mean, I spend so much time with my audiences reminding them that happiness is not an emotion and that happiness is an attitude. And attitudes can be broken down into parts. They can be taught. They can be learned. They can be practiced like a musical instrument. They can be honed. And uh, the same thing is true with energy. We can either sit around wishing that our lives were different and more energetic and more exciting and more uh, add more enthusiasm, or we could say, well, Rats, if I want that and it's important to me, what do I need to do to break that down? Brad, we're going to have to stop you there because we're going to have to go to break. But when we get back, definitely want to talk about the step-by-step process and the incremental steps you talk about. We'll be right back. Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus drug discount card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies, but 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Everyone is eligible for RX Savings Plus. There's no age or income restrictions and no paperwork. Simply print a card and start saving on your prescriptions. Start saving today. Enroll and print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word talk radio to 960 Welcome to another episode of Choice Moments sponsored by JustTwoChoices.com. July 20th, 1969, after a three-day, 240,000-mile journey from Earth, astronaut Neil Armstrong is about to land on the moon. Suddenly, the lunar module's 85K memory computer screams out a master alarm. Armstrong's Just Two Choices in that moment are either land or abort. Keeping cool and with the help of mission control, Neil uses his Just Two Choices moment to land on the moon and the rest is history. Boxing, like networking, is a contact sport. The more contacts and connections you make, the greater your success. If you're a business owner, sales agent, or job seeker, it's all about the connection. If you want help in your corner, pick up a copy of Knockout Networking today by speaker and author Michael Goldberg. Michael's book will absolutely help you generate more prospects, more referrals, and more business, or more job leads, or even more social connections. Knockout Networking will help you feel more confident speaking with people you don't know. Determine who your target market is, the best way to introduce yourself at business meetings, how to deliver an elevator pitch, follow-up, and how to generate more leads. Social media isn't always the answer, but Knockout Networking is. Visit KnockoutNetworking.com to pick up your copy of Michael Goldberg's book, Knockout Networking. Remember, nothing happens in business without a connection, so make the right connections. Visit KnockoutNetworking.com today. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? 
Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for the keywords World Talk Radio. Once you're a part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the World Talk Radio network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for World Talk Radio. You are tuned in to Little Conversations today with Dan Deegan. To reach the show, please call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to dan at littleconversationstoday.com. Now let's get back to the show. Welcome back. Welcome back. Well, just before the break, we had actually stepped into another zone, if you will, with Brad, and we were going to discuss a little bit of a step-by-step action plan that we can go to get motivated or energized, if you will. And throughout the break, Brad and I were talking, and we kind of threw an audible here real quick. And Brad, I'd like to step back from that question, because I'd like to dive into something that, personally, anyways, through my lens, it, it is energizing, it is motivating, and it does really create the next step or phase, if you will, in this show, which is happiness. And it's humor. I mean, it's a massive part of your message. What barriers does humor break down, both in our minds and our actions? Yeah, I love that question. Uh, All right, so before I answer the question, I'm going to tell you a story. Sure. (laughs) Which is, by the way, for keeping track, there's like a theme in the way I like to work. I love stories. Stories so, are uh, just heart and soul, Brad, so go for it. Humor, for me, used to be a technique, right? So that means I, was, I started out as a magician, and then I kind of moved into comedy clubs, which means that humor was a technique. Humor was a skill that I studied because I wanted to make other people laugh. Now, I had always been interested in, you know, I was the kid who had memorized jokes and told jokes at family parties and school and all that stuff, but suddenly I'm, I'm studying humor as a technique. Now, at the same time, I started getting interested in some of my business audiences. So I would be talking to buyers who, you know, who wanted to bring me into their business, like, you know, like their convention. And one of the questions I would frequently get would be, oh, I don't know, our people are, that, that might be silly. Or that might, please don't get our people involved because they, they're a little stiff and I don't think they'll do it. And it's just awkward. And, and, um, and then... As I started speaking about humor at work, uh, I'd get a lot of this. Well, humor is unprofessional, and humor, if you don't understand, we have a serious job. We're CPAs, or we, we work in law enforcement, or we're doctors, or whatever. And in other words, there was uh, humor had always been a technique. That's something that I was working on. And then now I realize, well, for a lot of people, humor is like this objection. And like, oh, well, that might be good for other people but it's not good for me. So, like, the, the vocabulary of humor was changing for me. And that blew my mind. Like, what? What are you talking about? Of course, laughing is a good thing, and I don't care where you are. Of course, la- laughing is a good thing. And yet, here were these people with, with some pretty good objections why humor for them was either uh, dicey or dangerous. You know, like, and, and by dangerous, I mean, you know, if you're a doctor and you make a joke in an inappropriate time, you, you really piss off your client or you know if you, if you make the wrong joke to the wrong people 
you suddenly get a little trip down the hall to HR and you get fired because you, you did some inappropriate jokes. So I'm not saying dangerous like a, a you know, juggling axis. I'm saying dangerous as in, yeah, it does have a downside. So uh, what does this mean for me? It means I had to think deeply about why humor was relevant and what it does. And, you know, in the end, I had to come up with a, a pretty good comeback to all those people who said, well, for us, Brad, it's not, it's, humor is not good. Well, here's no surprise. I came up with the idea that they're idiots, and of course humor is important. Um, and humor does break down barriers. So as a technique, for me, as a speaker, I use humor to break down barriers between me and the audience. Unlike a comedy club, when audience, uh, audience club, they, you know, they pay 20 bucks and they sit down and they're dressed up and they've got a date and they cannot wait to laugh. They're going to be furious if, if you as a comic are not funny and they're not laughing. But now when I'm speaking to business audiences, it's the opposite. Often there's people who don't want to be there. They're, they're there because they have to be there. You know, they, uh, they have no idea what the topic is. They just show up and then they, they bring me out and I'm suddenly making jokes. This is a, a totally different vibe. So I use humor on purpose as a technique to break down the barrier between me and I, my audience. And I know that if I hammer away at them for long enough, and it always takes eight or ten or, um, you know, for some really tough early morning crowds, 15 minutes of me just hammering away at them and really being patient with them, understanding where they are, knowing if I just stick with this long enough, they'll relax, they'll get me, they'll trust me, and they'll, I'll get them around. Because if I can finally break through, I'll be able to take them where I want to go, which is actually to teach them something, not just to make them laugh. And I know I cannot teach them anything unless they trust me. And I know that for me, the shortest path between um, their suspicion and that goal of them trusting me is laughter. If I can get them to laugh with me and trust me, then we're going to go forward. So that humor is a technique. And it turns out I think humor then becomes a technique for all of us, really regardless what our jobs are. So let, let me give you some examples. I do a lot of work for some dark groups. And I, <laughs> uh, let me explain, like uh, emergency room nurses, paramedics, probation officers, cops, firemen. These are people that have such difficult, stressful jobs that they also have really dark senses of humor. And this is, this is like their coping medicine, uh, method. This is how it breaks down the barriers between them and sanity. So, you know, for those groups, it's really fun to remind them that uh, humor is, they don't even know it sometimes, but humor is the way they keep sane. They're able to make jokes. Coroners uh, and uh, funeral home directors make jokes that you and I would never think is funny. But on the other hand, we don't have the stressful, difficult, dark job they do. So for them, I think humor is a way to break down the barriers between <laughs> sanity and, uh, and not, between happiness and not. Humor is so important for all of us. We use it in sales. We use it uh, in relationships. We, uh, we use it you know, with ourselves to be pro productive. We use it in times that are both good and bad in order to keep ourselves lively. Humor is the thing that breaks down everything, and, you know, it's, it's universal. It's that thing that no matter where you are, no matter what age you are, no matter what country you're from or what culture you're from, you get it. Humor is important, and laughing is something that not only feels good, but is important to us. So you take 
humor in order to break the ice, if you will, or break down the barriers, have people's walls come down so they can open up to your message, which is happiness. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so in my job, it's really that simple. Humor used to be the end. You're like, hey, hire me, and I'll come make your group laugh. But now I see as humor, yeah, I, see, I think it's much more powerful as a technique. Hey, bring me in, and I'll teach your audience uh, some information that will help move them from point A to point B. But because I'm really funny, I'm able to really get them to sit, lean forward on their chairs, sit on the edge of their chairs, and I'm able to make that message more sticky because they're laughing. People learn best when they're laughing. So how do you take happiness and take the little conversations we have in our heads and turn them to help us maybe even break down happiness into small manageable steps in order for us to be happier individuals? Yeah, all right, so that's a great... I think what you're asking is, how can we be more happy? Yes, yeah, I guess if you want to really, you know, null it down, yes, it's how can we be more happy? It obviously starts with our thoughts, because if we're not thinking happy thoughts, we're never going to be happy. So how would we go about changing our thought process, our conversations in our head, to help us be happier individuals and create more happiness in our lives, in our family lives, so on and so forth? Well, the... uh, Thank you. What a great question. (laughs) There's three steps. And the first one, oddly enough, is making sure people get that concept that uh, happiness is something that we can learn. Happiness is something that we can get for ourselves. Because so often, Dan, you know, we tend to think of happiness as something that happens to us. Oh, if these magical things happen, then this uh, great thing called happiness will happen to me. If, uh, you know, once I get my kids out of diapers, or once I get that raise, or once uh, I get a vacation, or after this big project is done, only then, you know, that will somehow bring happiness to us, when in fact we're wrong about that. So it it turns out if we invest first in happiness, we're more able to get things done. But the very premise is very important because most people just don't believe it. And again, that premise is, no, we're wrong about happiness. Happiness is an attitude. It's something that we can create for ourselves through strategic thinking and uh, through strategic action. So that's that first thought. You first, you got to buy into that. If you don't buy into that, you're screwed. Um, and then the second thing is to remind ourselves why this is important. Because we all sort of get it. Well, happiness is good. I like happiness. Sure, that sounds good. But it's, I think, instructive and helpful for us to remind ourselves that happiness has a value. Hap- because happy people tend to do better than their unhappy people counterparts and you know again this is common sense this is what our grandma told us but it's helpful when we're learning happiness to really have uh, a really good grasp on the why in the heck are we learning happiness and besides that common sense thing it's because we're better so happy people are for example we're more resilient happy people are healthier happy people are more creative and innovative happy people sell better uh, happy people are more productive and more accurate. Like, so, like, oh, I don't know what your job is, no matter who's listening. When I covered you. Your job is in there. So happiness helps you with your job, but, of course, it also helps with your family life, you know, and whoever you live with, and it also helps with yourself. All right, so for those of you who are keeping track, I've done the, I haven't answered your question yet, but I've tried to wet your whistle. I've tried to tell you that, one, happiness is learnable. It's not a attitude it's a skill and two it has a tremendous value even uh, a tremendous value beyond what our common sense tells us which is 
more vague. Like happiness would feel good. All right, so hopefully now you're thinking, well, give it to me. What is it? The beautiful thing about happiness is there are many things that are really straightforward, many techniques we can use that are unbelievably simple. They're so simple they almost sound like like voodoo, like no way, that's too easy to be true. But they're backed up by science and they work. So because you asked, let's make sure we cover a couple. The first one. Well, Brad, I might have to stop you. Unfortunately, we've got about 30 seconds left in this this half of the show before we bring Bob Berg on. Um, no. Is there, is it? Yes. And we want to make sure that you share your contact details. How could people get a hold of you? Well, we've got to learn more about happiness and come, <laughs> come to bradmontgomery.com. So my name is Brad Montgomery. Put it together. Put it.com. Come by and visit. And uh, there's a lot of stuff there, including links to the blog and some videos that answer that that how-to question with happiness. And we'll bring up uh, Brad and I just very quickly before break. Brad and I will do another audio and we'll put it on the blog at Little Conversations today, specifically answering this question. Brad, thank you so much, my friend. Have a fantastic day. Hey, you made me happy. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, Dan. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Hi, I'm Joe Swedish, CEO of WellPoint. We proudly support the March of Dimes and all they do to reduce the rate of premature birth in the United States. Though premature births have recently declined, still half a million babies are born too soon each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs that help moms and their babies live healthier lives. Please visit MarchofDimes.com and join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Here's a Choice Thoughts idea sponsored by JustTwoChoices.com. What is happiness anyways? People often see happiness as a thing such as getting a new car, earning a college degree, or having a relationship. Yes, these are reasons to be happy, but they do not guarantee happiness because in reality, happiness is simply a person's choice of mindset. In every present moment, there are just two choices. One, be happy. Or two, be less than happy. And whichever of these two choices you make the most is as happy as you will be. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. You are tuned in to Little Conversations today with Dan Deegan. To reach the show, please call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to dan at littleconversationstoday.com. Now let's get back to the show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for being here again and taking the time out to listen to the show. Uh, on the second half of the show, we've got a dear friend of mine. And uh, before I get into Bob's bio and, and what Bob's all about, I'd just like to share something because 
Um, Bob truly taught me the idea that these experts and a lot of these individuals you see on stage, they are truly just like you and I, and they are, they think some of the same thoughts, they have some of the same negative thoughts that go through their mind. When Bob and I first spoke, just about, I'm going to say about a year to a year and a half ago now, um, I couldn't tell you how nervous I was. My palms are literally dripping as the time is approaching for Bob and I to speak. I'd never had the pleasure of speaking with Bob, nor call him a friend at that point. And when Bob and I got on the phone, I said, Bob, I got to tell you, I am just, I'm so nervous. I'm, I'm mumbling. I'm stumbling. I have no idea. He says, Dan, I'm just a guy. Let's just have a conversation. Let's have a little conversation. So for the second half of the show, we've got Bob Berg. He's a sought-after speaker at corporate conventions and entrepreneurial events. He regularly addresses audiences ranging in size from 50 to 16,000, sharing the platform with notables, including today's top thought leaders, broadcast personalities, Olympic athletes, political leaders, and a former United States president. So Bob's new book, okay, focuses around, can you really systematically and consistency, consistently Get the results you want from others while making them feel genuinely good about themselves. Absolutely. Today we've got Bob Berg. And you might know Bob Berg as co-author of The Go-Giver and The Go-Giver Sell More. Maybe you know him when he authored Endless Referrals. But now he's got adversaries into allies. Bob, thanks so much for being here, my friend. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for that kind introduction and those very nice words. Oh, well, you know what, Bob? It is just... It's the truth. It was, um, you know, you sometimes sit back and you think, you know, would that, you know, first impressions, right? So would my first impression, had I met somebody that wasn't as genuine and focused on value and down to earth as yourself, would it have given me another impression about interviewing experts, you know? And you're just, as everyone's going to see and anyone who's ever heard you on the tens of thousands of radio shows you've done. You're so genuine, Bob, and just thank you for doing everything you do because it makes the world a better place. I appreciate that that a lot. Thank you. No problem. So, Bob, let's jump right in here. Before you became a world-renowned value expert on value, on influence and the art of influence and what we're going to talk about shortly, ultimate influence, what were some of the little conversations Bob Berg had in his head when he started towards maybe writing your first book or getting on stage and really taking that idea that you want to transform people's lives and you want to show the world that, you know what, if you add value Everything else just comes your way. How did those conversations go, and did you have some negative thoughts, and how did you overturn them? You know, that's a, a great question. I'm not sure there's a really easy answer for it. Uh, there are certainly areas in my life in, in which I feel very confident, and thus the thoughts are positive, and there's many areas in my life I don't feel confident and the thoughts are negative and I could be politically correct and, and you know as, as someone in the personal development uh, profession or industry or what have you and say oh the thoughts are always positive but you know they're not <laughs> I think as human beings we have self-doubts uh, I think uh, you know I think we probably all do although to say all maybe there are some who don't but then again those who, who don't have self-doubts uh, but who knows? Maybe they overestimate themselves too, which is why they don't have any self doubts. 
uh, and yet there's also something to be said about having the kind of confidence that uh, that allows you to to achieve more than what your ability or natural talent would say you should. So it's I'm, I'm not sure there's any one answer for what's right, wrong, or indifferent. I know with me, but there's many times I, I have doubted myself in the past, and there's times I continue to doubt myself. I think what you've got to do is you've got to take an assessment and, and see uh, as objectively as you can uh, why you perhaps have have done the work needed to be able to to present yourself in a certain way. I certainly wouldn't write a book about something that I wasn't very, very confident that I, I knew about. So in that way, uh, you know, the thoughts are, hey, this thing should hit, this thing should should touch a lot of lives, this thing should be very popular. And then you have these doubts and say, well, but what if nobody else thinks so? You know, what if the market just uh, votes with their feet and they, they vote down? So, uh, you know, uh, I think the thoughts are, are both positive and negative. Hopefully there's a lot more positive conversations uh, going on inside uh, this head of mine than there are negative ones, though. Well, I'm pretty sure sitting where you are and being the help that you've been to the countless of hundreds of thousands, millions of people, Bob, I'm willing to say, you know, out of your 60,000 thoughts, you're probably more on the positive side. (laughs) I'd like to think so. (laughs) Absolutely. Bob, your new book, it revolves around ultimate influence. So the big question for anyone that's listening that hasn't read it, and, and by the way, anyone who's listening that hasn't read it, it is, it's one of those must-reads on your bookshelf, along with endless referrals, especially if you're in sales. And let's face it, no matter who you are on the planet, you're in sales. So you need the book. Um, Bob, what's Ultimate Influence? Well, Ultimate Influence is, is simply how I define the ability to get the results you want when dealing with others, uh, but in such a way that they feel genuinely good about themselves, about the situation, and about you. When you think of it, when you define influence, not ultimate influence, but just influence itself, influence is simply the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, uh, usually within the context of a specific goal. I don't think that, I think while that definition is, is certainly correct, I don't think that captures the, the essence of influence, which I believe is, is pull, uh, as opposed to push. <laughs> it's not a matter of pushing our ideas on people as a way to influence. That might get some temporary uh, satisfaction and results, although it also might not. Uh, but it's certainly not the way to be able to create that, that sense of influence where people desire to, to uh, buy into your ideas. Uh, and I often say when I speak at conferences, especially at leadership conferences, I'll, I'll start out by saying, how far can you push a rope? And people laugh because they, they know the answer is not very far. Or actually, you probably could push it far, but not very effectively, not very quickly. Uh, it would take a lot more work. And that's why we say influence really is pull. A great, and you don't hear people say, by the way, wow, that, that Dan, he is so influential. He has a lot of push with people. They'd say that's he true. has a lot of pull with mm-hmm. people. And that's really what influence is. It's gentle pull. But influence is an attraction. Uh, great influencers attract people to themselves and to their ideas. And again, they do this with, with, with gentle pull. They elicit commitment rather than depending upon compliance. 
Bob, ultimate influence is made up of five parts or, or five key principles, if you will. What are the five principles? And we've got just about four minutes before break, but we'd love to hear a little bit about these five principles. Well, the principles themselves, number one is to... Um, control your own emotions. Number two is understand the clash of belief systems. Number three is to uh, uh, acknowledge their ego. Number four is to um, set the proper frame, which is so important. And number five is to communicate with tact and empathy. In the couple of minutes before we have the break, I, I could probably share uh, uh, the first one, which is controlling your own emotions. It, it sounds so intuitive when you think of it. Of course you have to control your own emotions, but what does that mean, and, and is it easy to do? Well, really, uh, as human beings, we are emotional creatures. and We'd like to think we're logical, and to a certain point we are, but not very. <laughs> we're pretty emotion-driven. We make even major decisions based on our emotions, and then we, we rationalize or tell ourselves rational lies in order to justify those decisions. But in this case, what I'm really talking about is the kind of emotions in which we allow ourselves to be hurt by others, uh, angered by others, to feel made to feel badly by others. And when we're not in control of our emotions, if we're not in control of ourselves, you're starting from really a point of weakness. The sages said, who is mighty? And answered that person who can control their own emotions and make of a potential enemy a friend. So it's when you can be the boss of yourself, when you're in control of your own emotions, which allows us, as Zig Ziglar taught, to respond rather than react, that's when we put ourselves in the position to be able to take a potentially negative person or situation and turn it into a, a win for everyone involved. And so when I say control your own emotions, I don't mean to denigrate emotions. I don't mean to, to that we should be some, you know, robots that have no emotions. No, the emotions are great. They're a wonderful part of life. But as one of my great friends and mentors, Dondi Scumachi, and I know you know Dondi, uh, as she says, take your emotions by all means, take your emotions along for the ride, but make sure you are driving the car, which simply means, hey, have your emotions, enjoy them, make them a great part of your life, but you be in control of them, not they in control of you. It's a very, very, very important part because a lot of the times it's reacting instead of taking a second to mm -hmm. respond and be in control of our own emotions. And, you know, right. I mean, a couple of key, key things you said in that, in that explanation. Um, I'm sure there's so many people out there smiling just as I was going, you're absolutely right. Yeah, because in that moment when we buy it, it's full of emotion. And now you look at it, it's like what on earth did I buy that for in the first place? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, when we get back from break, we'd love to touch base on the other four um, key principles, if you will, for your uh, ult for ultimate influence. And then there's one that we'd like to really dig into, which is clash of belief systems. And then we'll talk about framing because another key, key ingredient. So we're going to take a quick break, Bob, and we'll be right back. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com 
How You Can Change Your Life by Learning to See Just Two Choices Everywhere You Go. Sponsored by JustTwoChoices.com. When you're out driving your car, have you ever noticed that a stop sign is an everyday Just Two Choices event? In that moment, as you come to the stop sign, you will either make the choice to come to a complete stop or make the choice to keep rolling through the stop sign. Which choice do you usually make at a stop sign? So you can use stop signs as a simple reminder to start seeing Just Two Choices everywhere in life. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio. You are tuned in to Little Conversations today with Dan Deegan. To reach the show, please call into 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 346 9141. You may also send an email to dan at littleconversationstoday.com. Now, let's get back to the show. Well, thank you for being here again, and welcome back. Just before the break, if you missed it, Bob was discussing the five key principles that come with ultimate influence or that involve, are involved in ultimate influence. Bob, can you share what the second principle is and, and a little bit about it? Sure. The second principle is to understand the clash of belief systems, and this is this is so vital. Uh, this is something that really had me messed up for a lot, you know, a lot, uh, a large part of my life until I, I kind of figured out figured this out because it can be so tricky and so insidious. First, what what are beliefs? Well, a belief, and in my definition, a belief is a subjective truth. It's the truth as you understand the truth to be, which doesn't mean it's the truth. It means it's your truth. It's a belief. Uh, we have our beliefs kind of uh, pretty set. Our belief system is, is, is pretty much set by the time we're, we're a little more than toddlers. Our, our belief system is a combination of upbringing, environment, schooling, news media, television shows, movies, popular culture, uh, everything you taste, touch, see, sense, smell, what, what have you. Now, but again, it's, it's formed very, very young. It, it, it's the lens. Our belief system can be looked at as the lens through which we see the world. Uh, it's very personal. It's very individual. Now, we are also unconscious of this. Okay, in other words, we don't grow up taking, uh, criti- look, you know, critically looking at the information that comes into our brain that we're given and say, hmm, now, what's the premise here? How was this figured out? How does this person know this? Who did they learn it from? No, we kind of accept, we just accept a lot of it. Um, and again, so we're unconscious of it when we're young, but we also, most of us, live our lives unconscious of this and that this is how we're making our decisions through this lens. Well, the other person who, with whom you're about to have a, a difficult transaction, let's say, uh, a difficult situation, well, they are also run by their belief system, unconsciously, just like, like we are. 
So that's bad enough when you think of the, the potential for, for, for harm. But, but here's the other thing to put on top of that. As human beings, we also tend to think that the way we see the world is the way everyone else looks at the world. When you think of it, how could it be any different? We don't know any differently. Uh, this is why, Dan, you hear people say things like, oh, everybody feels that way. Nobody likes that. Or you may have even said yourself at one time or another, I know I have, well, I would never do that to someone, or I would never say that to someone. Well, no, we wouldn't, because that's not congruent with our belief systems, but with other people. And it's very difficult to, to, to believe that other people actually don't see the world that way. So what's key to, is to not to, to necessarily understand their belief system. We, we probably won't. Uh, you know, they probably don't. <laughs> but what we need to do is simply understand that we are probably, that this person is probably seeing the world through a much different lens than through which we're seeing the world. And as long as we understand that during this transaction, uh, then we're okay. Then we've, we've at least created a context where we can, uh, where, uh, we can have a, a, a win-win. You know, as I went through your book and read it um, twice now, actually, um, each time I get to this point, I, I get this massive smile on my face. When you're discussing the lens in which people see things and you're discussing when you hear things or when people say things, consider the source. Mm. And Bob, this is a huge one for everyone listening, for all of our little conversations, consider the source. And I share that with my family all the time. My wife shares it with her friends. It's true. How important is considering that source? Before we go on to the third of the five key principles, how, how important is considering the source of your information or even your, uh, I'm going to say, suggestion? If somebody makes a suggestion for you to do something, what is that source that's giving you that? Yeah, when you think of considering the source, there there are different environments for that. I mean, it could be uh, you know someone gives you know, someone says something is the way it is. A, a newscaster tells you something about this politician or that politician or this viewpoint or that viewpoint. Do you just accept it? Well, why? What are they basing it on? Uh, how did they learn it? Uh, does it align with your? You know, you're you're much more likely to accept it if it aligns with your beliefs, uh, and and much more likely to reject it for no other reason that it doesn't align with your belief. So, so consider the source of this person, someone who just seems to say and do things for no reason other than they buy into a certain philosophy, or do you know them as being deep thinkers? Okay, so, so that might be one way. Or, you know, the person, whether it's a family member, friend, whether it's a prospect, whether it's a client, whether it's a coworker, whether it's someone you just know in social circles, they give you some advice. Well, do you take that advice or not? Well, at first, it depends on your situation, but you've also got to consider the source. How are they an authority on that? How do they know it? Where did they learn it? How did they come to that conclusion? What's their premise? <laughs> uh, let, uh, let's go back to someone criticizes you for something, and you feel really badly hearing about that criticism. And that was something I brought up in the book that was that was personal with me, yep. uh, that I was deeply offended by uh, some. Uh, uh, 
unconstructive criticism that I bought, and a friend said to me, consider the source. You know, who is the person saying it? Is it, is it someone whose opinion you should really care about? Or why? Have, they, have their opinions in the past been thoughtful uh, decisions, you know, thoughtful in terms of putting a lot of thought, or do they just say things just to say them? So we, to, to the degree that we can consider the source Every time we hear something, uh, for whatever reason, that puts us in a position of, of, of power. It's, you know, it, it's uh, what T. Harv Eker talks about, you know, being conscious, which is uh, acting out of thought and power rather than on uh, unconscious past programming. You know, it's, it's, so it's a matter of thinking things out and, again, considering that source. So... Understanding the source, the lens, all that from your belief system portion. What is the third of the five principles, Bob? Well, that's just to consider their ego. Uh, excuse me, acknowledge their ego. Uh, and uh, and I, by this I simply mean, and it's not that we shouldn't acknowledge our ego, we want to make sure our ego is not getting in the way of our of our uh, logic and of our decision making. And uh, uh, Ego really ties a lot into emotion, which is that, that first principle. Uh, ego and emotion are very, uh, very much connected. And so when someone, when you can tell this other person is really not operating logically and clearly, but seems to be extra emotional or angry or, uh, you know, in, in some way counterproductive in what they're doing, you've got to say to yourself, is this person's ego in charge of them? You know, you're acknowledging their ego. When I say acknowledge their ego, I don't mean vocally saying, hey, buddy, you know, your ego, <laughs> watch it. Uh, that would have the opposite effect. That would make them very resistant to you and very angry. But no, we've got to understand that we are, we've got to acknowledge their ego in terms of understanding that it has probably taken them over and is in play. And so we need to adjust to that. And someone might say, but, you know, but why is that fair? Is that right? Why should their ego get in the way? Of, well, it just is. You know, <laughs> there are those two uh, planets, the planet of what is and the planet of what we wish was. And so uh, as successful people deal with what is, not what they simply wish was. So what's the fourth principle? Well, that set the proper frame. This is so important because when you set the proper frame, the chances are great that everything's going to go exactly as you want because the frame is the premise. The frame is the foundation from which everything else results. In the book, I tell a kind of a cute little story. I think not, not that I told it cutely, but it was in and of itself a cute story. Uh, there was a uh, young toddler, a little boy, about probably two, two and a half, and he was. I was in a Dunkin' Donuts store, and he was walking, you know, around the, the restaurant. He was walking toward his parents when all of a sudden he uh, took a spill. He, he fell on the floor, and he, he didn't fall hard. But you could, you could see from the look in his face that he was kind of shocked. You know, he, he intuitively knew that wasn't supposed to happen. So immediately he looked at his mom and dad for their interpretation of the event. See, what happened, happened. That was fact. He was looking at them to kind of determine what's next. <laughs> and, 
and you know, I think had the parents sort of panicked, and uh, which was probably their their first, you know, uh, their instinct. But uh, had they panicked? Had they had they looked concerned? Had they gone? Oh no! He probably would have gotten upset because he was ready to go either way with with his emotions. But the parent, the mom and dad, really handled it beautifully. They they clapped and they smiled and they said, "Oh, that looks like so much fun! What a good trick!" And immediately the the little boy started to laugh, and uh, because what happened was the parents set a productive frame for him. And that's key. And we can do that with anyone when we meet a person. It could be as, and it, you know what? The, the, the ultimate positive frame setter is simply a genuine smile. You smile at someone, it's almost impossible for them to, to resist, really. Um, uh, to you know, you or or you might be uh, uh, with a uh, in a conversation, and someone enters the room, and maybe you open up your body language a little bit to set the frame for them to let them know they're welcome into the conversation. Uh, you know, so so setting that frame is so key. It's also very important to be able to reset another person's already negative frame. You don't want to buy into that frame. Instead, you you control your own emotions. You respond rather than react. You understand there's probably a clash of belief systems taking place. You acknowledge their ego, and you make sure that you act in such a way that you reset the frame. So now you're both operating from a frame of of allies rather than adversaries. We are going to have to leave this on a big cliffhanger for all of you listening because, Bob, you're going to have to go to www.berg.com. Bob, your your book's available there because we've got about 10 seconds left in the show. And we're going to leave you hanging on that cliffhanger because, you know what, the fifth principle is just as important as all the other four. Bob, thank you so much for being here. And just, you know what, thank you. Thank you, sir. And I, it is, there's no other words to explain everything you've done for me. Thank well, you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that very much. Remember, 60,000 thoughts a day, 420,000 thoughts a week. What, do you th- what you think about most expands, choose to make them positive. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us this week for Little Conversations Today. Please join Dan Deegan for another engaging conversation next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great weekend and a week of achieving your dreams. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.